You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. I'm recording this episode on the day before the fourth Ashes test begins and on the day on which New Zealand played Sri Lanka in the second T20 international. I'm your host Ajit. My co-host Giri is away and uh, I'll be your host for today. So it has been a very momentous week if you're a test cricket fan. We had left the previous episode with the first day of play in the first test between India and West Indies, the third Ashes test as well as the second test between New Zealand and uh, Sri Lanka being played out. So all of these three tests ended. Also the second test between West Indies and India was also completed in the duration between the episodes. So let's start by taking a look quickly at the Sri Lanka versus New Zealand second test. So it was a very thrilling test simply because New Zealand was able to snatch a victory in spite of only about three and a half days of play being possible. If you were to look at it, Sri Lanka batted first and they had scored 244 thanks to a 109 by Dhananjaya De Silva and a 65 by skipper Karuna Ratna. New Zealand uh, batted through I think three days uh, where they had to bat on different times of the day but they got to 431 for six declared in 115 overs thanks to 154 by Tom Latham and 105 uh, by PJ Watling, the man Friday. Colin de Grandhome also made a very useful 83. Um, this meant Sri Lanka were about 184 runs behind and they had to you know bat out the rest of the day, the last day of the test. But they weren't able to do that and thanks to all the bowlers, uh, the New Zealand bowlers sharing the wickets among them, so Trent Bolt taking two, Saudi taking two, Ajas Patel taking two and Somerville taking two, uh, Colin de Grandhome as well chipping with one wicket. Only Niroshan Dikwella had a very uncharacteristic 51, uh, which he took uh, nearly three and a half hours to make. And he was the lone, let's say, fighting hand. Another thing that sort of hamstrung Sri Lanka was that Karuna Ratna, the skipper, who's also, let's say, the mainstay of the top order, was injured and he could not come to bat any sooner than the fall of the sixth wicket. As a result, he could only make 21. He took 70 balls over it in nearly an hour and a half's time and kept... Uh, Dikwella company but that was not going to be enough because there was enough time that New Zealand were able to bowl 70 overs and in the dying light they were able to take the victory therefore they were able to draw the series one all so it's a very important uh, result as far as New Zealand were concerned because they not only tie the series one all but take the share of the points as well that are on offer for the series. Tom Latham finished the player of the match for his very wonderful uh, 154 in the first innings but BJ Watling as I earlier called him the Man Friday of New Zealand team, was declared the man of the series for his very good contributions in both the matches. So, moving on, if you were to quickly take a look, let's take a look now at the third Ashes test, the very, very exciting Ashes test. Being so many days ago, I'm sure uh, all our listeners must have heard multiple opinions. So, I'll not go too deep into it. You know, England uh, having bowled Australia for 179, they must have felt very confident Nobody nobody expected that England would be bowled out for 67. But after having done that, and uh, they were able to reduce Australia to 246 all out in the third innings of the game. Uh, Labushkagni scored 80. And then he had some useful support uh, all around the top order. Khwaja making 23, Head making 25, Wade making 33, and then Paddinson making 20. That gave, you know, uh, England a very tough target, 359. 
and they had um, two days in a bit to survive so a result was more or less certain in this test well they did not start off brightly we know burns and roy uh, both had single figure scores but root and denley fought off on the third evening but both scoring 50s and denley very unlucky to be dismissed on the third evening and uh, root carried on into the fourth morning but was dismissed uh, early in, on the fourth morning and then uh, stokes and besto uh, took england to lunch so besto made a uh, 36 and was dismissed immediately after lunch but then came the turning point where ben stokes was batting very doggedly unfortunately sold his good friend butler down the river and then wokes was quickly dismissed archer came in and uh, swung a few lusty blows uh, for to the tune of 15 runs but uh, broad couldn't contribute much and was out for a duck of his very second ball that meant the ninth wicket of england fell at 9 for 286 and the victory you know 76 runs away so it is not going to be a very easy task but then they had the indomitable ben stokes at crease and jack leach uh, who was no mug with the bat as he has shown earlier in the season uh, with the 92 against ireland so then what unfolded was a fantastic fantastic uh, passage of test cricket the sort that you know one would be very lucky to even get to see once a year but we are so lucky that we got to see it twice a year because if you remember right earlier in the year kusal parera did the same thing to south africa in the company of vishwa fernando and um, in similar circumstances but somehow in a much more pressure situation simply because this is ashes and also in front of his home crowd and ben stokes being ben stokes with all the you know colorful past that he has he was able to pull out the bunny out of the bag as they say and in spite of really good bowling i think nathan lyon bowled really well patinson was probing and hazelwood and cummins were also very unlucky he he was able to play a wonderful array of strokes so we remember that uh, reverse uh, swept six behind point of nathan lyon almost uh, like kevin peterson when he was doing the same thing to murali dharan right uh, all of these fantastic shots unfolded and what showed through was the control that strokes was able to take and basically manipulate the field as he wished and hit boundaries at will and basically the last let's say the 78 runs was scored in a matter of just 10 overs that meant he always was in control and jack leach also has to be given a bit of credit here he took 17 balls to score his one solitary run and that too when two runs left when his solitary run tied the score so england couldn't lose the match there were two or three very tough points very close to the end of the game when you know with i think 7 to 8 runs required there was a review called on leach's uh, lbw call which may have cost australia the game the other point being joel wilson did not give a tough tough lbw call of nathan lyon when ben stokes was batting with very few runs required and of course uh, with just two runs required the run out that was missed by nathan lyon when jack leach was more than half the way down the crease and uh, he was sent back by ben stokes these all points stand out another thing that stands out is the impact of this on nathan lyon because um, he was also involved in the last two of these very close points from australian perspective and when the winning run was scored from a specific camera angle you can actually see that the ball passes nathan lyon and he knows it's gone to the boundary for the winning run and he simply crumples to the ground it shows the impact that it has on the players that are involved in such a tight contest later uh, tim pain goes to him and lifts him up and tells him he's the senior player and he can't you know lose hope like that so all of these are very poignant moments that as a sports fan you would always look forward to so uh, it, i think um, both the australian coach langer and the captain have come out and said that their use of prs could have been better and that could have probably cost them the match but australia would be would be very very disappointed knowing that 
victory was so close and they had 78 runs or 76 runs that was still required and Stokes just stood up and made sure uh, they wouldn't cross the line. So all in all, we got to witness another fantastic, fantastic test innings, one for the ages, so to say. And I think we should let a bit of the dust settle on it and we should talk about it maybe in a couple of months or years time and to see how good this innings compares against some of the greatest innings of all time. But, you know, my instinct is this is going to probably jump into top five no matter what. I mean, this along with, you know, some of the greatest um, fourth inning chase innings, for example, the 200 scored by Gavaskar in the 70s when India chased down the highest total uh, back, the, back in the day. Also, VVS Lakshman's third innings, 281, of course. Kusal Pariras um, earlier in the year, the 153 not out. Also, Brian Lara, who made a similar score of 153, if I'm not wrong, with a company of uh, Walsh. I also recollect another innings. There was a very tense test match between uh, Pakistan and Bangladesh when Inzama Mulhak led uh, Pakistan to victory and I remember the Bangladeshi players weeping when they could not win. And uh, some of these innings can readily come to mind, but as I said, maybe a few more months and uh, years and later we'll be able to judge these innings for what it is. But all in all, a fantastic, fantastic drama that unfolded and it had to be this guy, Ben Stokes. Apparently, his year is getting better and better because first he led England to a World Cup win by playing that very, very um, great innings of 85, not out in the World Cup final. But then this 135 probably easily surpasses that innings as well. You know, I remember in an interview, Justin Langer saying they felt the Ashes were robbed of them. And that's the right thing to say, I think, because with 80 runs or nearly 80 runs left and one wicket to get or two wickets to get, they would have thought they have, well, not one but both hands on the trophy. And now it, it's come to pass that uh, the score's been levelled at one all, And now they have two more tests and they have to go back to the drawing board and fight. But if I were to be the Australian coach, I wouldn't be too disappointed knowing that what happened happened. But uh, most of the test match went according to plan as far as Australia was concerned. They bowled out England for 67. And um, this also means um, a, lot of, a lot of credit goes to the bowlers. And they also were able to almost bring them to the, the doorstep of victory, but they couldn't cross. But, uh, you know, if they could have slowed down the game and they could have taken some more time out of the game by just talking to each other, you know, like there are these endless conferences at the bowlers, uh, top of bowlers run up that these days captains indulge in. Those sort, of, those sort of things could have been done a bit more, you know, stretch the drama out. But all you needed was one good ball and uh, there, there in um, Leach and mainly Stokes get the credit for the way they played. So now we will go on to the next test, which would be in Old Trafford beginning tomorrow. And we have some uh, startling things that uh, we have come to know since. Anderson has been ruled out of ashes. So Craig Overton has been called in. And he's going to replace Wokes, which comes in as a bit of a surprise because one would have expected Wokes to retain his batting spot, given that he's also a very classically uh, you know, comfortable batsman at the test level. Overton can bat for sure. Overton can bat, but he's no Wokes, let me put it like this, at least with the bat. But I think he's a more steady... Um, let's say a like-for-like replacement when it comes to bowling with Vox. Even though Vox might be a bit faster, I think Overton can do a very good job there. And then, of course, we also have come to know that Joe Denley and Jason Roy will swap their batting positions. So Denley will go ahead and open and uh, Jason Roy will be batting at four. Uh, We all suspected this might come to pass at some point in time in the summer simply because Jason Roy's technique was not going to stand up to a test match new ball examination and that's what it's come to be. And uh, Denley will go on and open. Uh, he'll be in a more 
let's say comfortable environs when he comes in at uh, number one or will take uh, the new ball on and um, Roy who's more or less always played in the middle order for Surrey when he's been playing red ball cricket will get to reprise that so it's going to be a good thing as far as England are concerned and um, what this win in Headingley would have given them well a lot of things I'm sure at least the confidence and the relief that the series is still alive and maybe a chance at taking the ashes cleanly and for Australia we see that uh, they have decided uh, Usman Khwaja will be dropped from the 11. He was batting at number 3, but with uh, Smith getting fit and coming back in, they felt uh, there were a surplus of uh, left-handers in the top order, especially the chairman of selectors, Trevor Horns, seems to have indicated this. And maybe they want a more stable number 3, and uh, maybe Marnus Labushkagni will take the number 3 spot. It was a curious case of whether Usman Khwaja, who has a superior record to somebody like Marcus Harris, should lose his place in the 11, especially given that Usman Khwaja can also open the batting. But in this case, Marcus Harris was just being given one test, was probably persevered so that he gets uh, more of a chance to you know, show what he can do. But Usman Khwaja has enough of uh, experience that he'll come back to the squad. Also, when it comes to bowling, uh, James Pattinson has been rested and uh, both Siddle and Stark are included in the 12. So it's going to be very interesting whom they are going to go for when it comes to fast bowling, whether it will be uh, Hazelwood and Cummins along with either Stark or Siddle. The early indications look like it might be Siddle who would be the holding bowler while you have the likes of Hazelwood and Cummins who can go ahead and attack. So it's all to play for in the test match in Old Trafford. And Headingley once again has come to focus, you know. If you are a test match fan, you can always remember Botham Sash's 1981 test match of Headingley or Mark Butch's 173 not out chasing a huge total against Australia. Also in, I think, 1999. All of these happened at Headingley. Uh, so Headingley is a ground for uh, momentous test innings, it looks like. Also, Shai Hope played a very good innings for West Indies in the last year's Headingley test. So a bunch of really good innings that one can recall when going back and looking at Headingley. I think in our upcoming episodes, we'll be taking a look at the fourth and the fifth Ashes test and I'm very curious how that's going to unfold. Now, if you were to go on and look at the end of the first test between India and West Indies, it was a bit of a one-sided affair, it must be said. Compared to what was unfolding on the same day in the Ashes test, the first test between West Indies and India was a very one-sided affair because India had set a very tall target uh, for West Indies and 419 runs to be scored, it was not going to be easy. So even though the first innings were really close, you know, India made 297 and thanks to a very good 39 by Jason Holder, West Indies were able to crawl their way up to 222. That meant India did not have a really match-winning lead. So a lot of credit goes to the Indian top and middle order because KL Rahul made 38, though it was a very patient 38. Pujara 25 and then Kohli made 51 and then Rahane and Vihari finished it off. So Rahane made 100, 102 to add to his first innings 81. And then um, Vihari made a very enterprising 93 of just 128 balls, scoring at a strike rate of more than 72 to ensure that there was enough time and the total was going to be very effective. So 419 was going to be let's say one run more than the highest total being chased by a West Indian team to win the test. But then the bowling was exceptional, especially from Bumrah, who blew away the West Indian top order and they were reduced to 15 for 5. And there was no coming back from there. I think some of the balls he bowled were fantastic. The ball he bowled to Darren Bravo stays uh, in my mind because how how beautiful it was. It was a beautiful uh, outswinger if you're a right-hander, but if you're a left-hander, it comes into you. And the ball swung away from Bravo, pitched and went through the gate to take his stumps. So that was a fantastic, fantastic ball. Also, similarly, the ball with which he bowled Holder, 
it was a very very fast leg break it that's how that's the only way i can classify it because it was bolted close to 140 kph and it literally spun away from holder and it was also another out swinger and it was pitching on midland leg and hitting off so one of those balls not a lot of batsman can do so at one point in time west indies were really in trouble they were 50 for 9 and they could have been easily bowled out for 55 but akimar roach swung merrily in the company of uh, miguel cummings and they took west indies to three figures 100 uh, ajinkya rahane was voted the man of the match in spite of the 54 so bumrah finished with 5 for 7 from 8 overs so fantastic and startlingly good figures in a fourth innings but uh, ajinkya rahane's uh, contribution setting up the test match was recognized and he was given the man of the match when it comes to the second test this one was played in kingston and uh, this was going to be well we always hoped west indies would come back they would come back fighting but that did not happen again because they gave uh, a debut to the you know much talked about off spinner uh, rakim cornwall a very substantial person uh, no doubt but also a substantial talent as we got to see india batting first made up 416 runs in 140 overs so mayank agarwal made 55 and then kohli 76 again a very patient knock by kohli it has to be said Rahane made 24, but Hanuma Vihari, who came in at the fall of Rahane's wicket, and there was a bit of, you know, chances that India could uh, blow away a solid opening phase, uh, but he made sure he batted with the rest of the lower middle order to convert this to a big total. So he made 111. This is his first hundred, and uh, you see the blossoming of this talent. We definitely saw that he was feeling more and more comfortable at the Test match level. beat 93 in the previous innings or this innings it shows that vihari has the technique and the temperament for the highest level and uh, his 111 definitely in company of pant who made 27 jadeja 16 and then ishan sharma made a 57 so it looks like ishan sharma has taken the most number of innings to get to a 50 among all international batsmen so congrats to him and it's a long overdue reward for his persistence and doggedness in the way he bats in test matches in fact in the final phases of uh, the partnership between vihari and sharma I think Ishan Sharma was the aggressor and uh, Vihari was slowing down because he was approaching 100 and Ishan Sharma very much like you know the way he shepherded uh, Virat Kohli to his maiden test 100 he also shepherded uh, Vihari to his 100 and uh, some also credit should be given to Ishan Sharma maybe he imparts this calmness to the non striker whenever he's batting and this comfort knowing that this guy will not be easily you know disturbed holder took a beautiful 54 so holder bowled really beautifully and he was not only the attacking bowler but also the containing bowler it was a dual role that he played uh, strangely gabriel looked off color this whole test match maybe there was some injury niggle bothering him kimar roach at uh, times looked very penetrative but it was not going to be good enough rakim cornwall took 3 wickets for 105 in 41 very tight and controlling overs and he shows also that uh, he has the let's say the off spinning skill to belong at the highest level and uh, the rest of it remains to be seen so having made 416 india were able to dismiss west indies for 117 in the first innings again a lot of credit to bumrah here who took a 64 including a hat trick so i was very lucky to actually be able to see the three balls that comprised of his hat trick so the dismissals of bravo brooks and chase they were all wonderful wonderful balls so one of them was caught but the other two were lbws so also i think uh, bumrah rightly credited uh, kohli for g- getting him a hat trick because the third dismissal that is chase dismissal was actually not given out on the field but then uh, kohli reviewed the decision and it was overturned on review so well done to kohli as well to get bumrah hat trick only shimran hatmeyer made 34 and nobody else really showed any fight in the first innings and west indies were 117 all out in the bowling shami took 2 for and jadeja and sharma each took one wicket 
So strangely, India decided to actually bat on rather than put West Indies in for a follow on. It looks like the culture of uh, asking the team that is more than 200 runs behind to follow on is more or less dying out. Because these days, most teams are not comfortable swapping the innings order. That is, they may have to come and bat out on the fourth innings. Maybe even a chase of 100 could be tricky. So probably they don't take these risks. So India chose the same route, but they were rocked by some wonderful bowling by Kimar Roach, who took 3 for 28, basically reducing India to 3 for 36 as Kohli was dismissed for a first bowler. And then Agarwal made 4 and Rahul made just 6. Pujara and Rahane steadied the ship, but then Pujara also was dismissed for 27. So a rare, um, a very becalmed series for Pujara. He's normally very good and at least he comes good in one innings. And usually in the third innings of a test, he's very good. But in this case, he was not able to do that. But Rahane stuck around and along with him, Vihari came out and played enterprisingly so that they gave enough time so that India could declare already on the third day. So having gotten to 168 for four, India declared. Uh, we played out about 55 hours. Uh, Roach had three wickets and then Holder took the other wicket to fall. So this set West Indies a target of 468 to win. Again, it was more or less a nominal target because there were more than two days left and it looked like India were going to force a victory on the fourth day and that's exactly what happened. West Indies finished the third day on 45 for two. And uh, again, uh, the two wickets to fall were uh, Campbell, the opener for 16, who was dismissed by Shami. And then Ishan Sharma took the wicket of Craig Brathwaite. This is another unfortunate uh, low series for Craig Brathwaite, who is the vice-captain of the Test squad and also one of their mainstays as far as the top-order batting goes. And unfortunately, he couldn't come good. Darren Bravo, who batted to score 23 runs, was retired hurt as he was stuck on the head by uh, Jaspreet Bumrah Bouncer. That meant the first concussion substitute of the series in the form of Jermaine Blackwood was brought into the West Indian squad and he was allowed to bat as uh, Bravo was withdrawn. Shamar Brooks played a very patient knock to score 50 runs and Jermaine Blackwood uh, made an enterprising 38. Holder again made a 39. Uh, but once, let's say, the partnership between Brooks and uh, Blackwood was broken by Bumrah, that meant uh, the result was sealed and uh, Holder just held up the proceedings for a while but could not really convert it to a victory. Uh, three wickets to Shami and three wickets to Jadeja in the last innings and Sharma took two and Bumrah took one. A uh, wonderful test as far as India was concerned and uh, as Kohli rightly pointed out in the post-match uh, let's say ceremony and also the interviews that Hanuma Vihari was the find of the series as far as India was concerned. And as far as West Indies go, well, Rakim Conwall playing his first test showed enough promise as a spinner to you know give everybody an idea that he belongs at the top level and maybe Going on, he can actually be given a longer run and he can be allowed to grow into a role as an off-spinner and also maybe an all-rounder. As far as the focus points goes, West Indian top order was really, really brittle and they always lost a wicket within the first 20 runs being scored. And Well, let's also not take away anything from the fact that how good Bumrah was. Bumrah was really, really good and he made sure West Indies never got off to a comfortable start. So there has been no man of the series declared, but... Let's say the uncrowned man of the series would be Jaspreet Bumrah. Now, there are um, also the T20 series that is going on between New Zealand and Sri Lanka. So in the first T20i, New Zealand wrapped up a comfortable victory. In this case, they were chasing a score of 174 made by Sri Lanka thanks to 79 by Kusal Mendis and 33 by Niroshan Dikwala. So it was a, you know, a typically belligerent innings by Mendis who scored rapidly almost at a strike rate of 150. Tim Saudi was captaining New Zealand uh, as Kane Williamson has been rested. So Tim Saudi took 2 for 20 in his 4 overs and then uh, Mitchell Santon showed excellent control and took 1 for 22 in his 4 overs. But rest of the New Zealand bowlers were 
tonked around. So they had some new bowlers, uh, for example, Scott Coglin and Seth Rands. All of these guys were tonked around. Also, they had some other new guys in the team. For example, Daryl Mitchell was there. And it looks like Colin DeGrand home has been interested to bat at 4 or 5 in this T20 lineup. Colin Munro had come back into the 11 as well. So in this chase, Colin Munro couldn't contribute and he was dismissed off the first ball, uh, thanks to a Malinga Yorker. Uh, Martin Guptil, who's back in the squad, couldn't do much and he was dismissed for 11. But Colin de Grandhome made 44 and then uh, Ross Taylor made 48 as they took, let's say, the majority of the chase out. But then uh, Daryl Mitchell with 25 not out and Mitchell Santner with 14 not out saw through to the end of the chase in the last over to take the win. There was not a lot to write home about in Sri Lankan bowling. Only Malinga, who bowled excellently, took 2 for 23 of his 4 overs. And then... Uh, Manidu Hasaranga, the leg spinner, took 2 for 21 of his 4 overs. The second T20I was played at Palakele. And in this T20I as well, Sri Lanka batted first. So they were able to make a total of 161 for 9, thanks to some solid top-order contributions, 37 from uh, Avishka Fernando and 39 from Dikwala, included among them. A lot of credit should go to the New Zealand bowlers who were able to stymie the Sri Lankan run rate in the second or the second and the third quarter of the of their innings because at one point in time around you know the halfway mark it looked like Sri Lanka were looking comfortable to score more than 180 but New Zealand were able to pull them back thanks again once again to Saudi who took 2 for 18 and then Seth Rans took 3 for 33 when it came their turn to bat New Zealand also could not have a great start as uh, they decided to rest uh, Martin Guptill and Munro opened with Seifert and they both made a teens, not a lot. But then Colin de Grandhome came good once again, scoring 15 of just 46 balls. And then he was uh, kept company by Tom Bruce, who scored 53 of 46 balls. There was no Ross Taylor again in this game and Daryl Mitchell uh, could not get going. But Mitchell Santner scored a couple of crucial boundary shots in the last over and New Zealand were able to win with two balls to spare. When it comes to bowling, uh, Akhila Danjaya took uh, 3 for 36. And uh, Isuru Udana took 1 for 18 of 3 overs. Uh, Sandakan, who was back in the squad, took 4 overs, uh, none for 16. And that was a wonderful bowling effort as well. The player of the match was Tim Saudi for his very economical bowling. And uh, New Zealand have taken a 2-0 lead in this series. Now, if you were to take a quick look at all the news from outside the cricketing field or outside of the international cricketing field, have you witnessed the greatest T20 all-round performance ever is a good question to ask because in the recently concluded Karnataka Premier League, K. Gautam, who's also a Karnataka off-spin bowler, but he's more or less on the fringes of Indian team selection, one can say, because he's a part of the India team often. This guy, first of all, batting at number three, scored a 134 runs of just 56 balls to take his team to 203 for three. He was representing the Bellari Tuskers. And then when it came his turn to bowl, he opened the bowling and took 8 for 15 of his 4 overs. So his opponents stood no chance. The opponents were Shimoga Lions. And they were able to come to 133 all out. But what a wonderful bowling performance and what a wonderful batting performance. Either of these could have been a clear you know, man of the match performance. But he was able to combine both. So this could very well stand out as the greatest T20 all-round performance ever. So I don't know if there are any other better performances by a single player in a T20 game. If there are, I would very much like to learn about it. Do write in to us and let us know. There is also some other interesting news that's coming through. Ms. Baul Haq, who was, you know, we were discussing in the previous episode, could be a good candidate to be the next head coach of Pakistan, has officially applied for that position and he has resigned his other position as a part of the cricket committee. Right? And then Hong Kong's Nadim and Irfan 
have been banned for life for um, their involvement with bookies and also in corruption so irfan ahmed and nadeem ahmed are brothers and uh, they have been sort of suspended from play already for more than a year by hong kong cricket board and they were actually found guilty of trying to corrupt several matches including those played in the 2016 world t20 so it looks like this has been an ongoing investigation and finally the hong kong cricket board have come to the conclusion and then icc has been uh, asked and then after all the consultation they have been banned for life by hong kong cricket board in another news ireland will now host a t20 series between scotland netherlands and ireland it's a t20i series this is just to make up the void left by the now postponed euro t20 league so it'll only be six matches there is a two game you now warm up that every of these three teams will get because um, there is a t20 world cup qualifiers in uae coming up in october and this will form as a warm up for all the three teams so it's a good news uh, it does not probably make up for the cancellation of the or the postponement of the euro t20 slam but at least you know this is a bit of a relief for those of us who are at least looking forward to see nations like ireland and netherlands play going further we have come to know that ambati raidu has now done a u turn on his retirement so basically earlier in the year miffed at being left out of the squad for the world cup and in spite of being multiple replacement being sent over he was not considered properly he was very miffed and he announced retirement from all forms of cricket but then he first said he'll play t20s and then ipl and then now it looks like he's done doing a complete u turn and may also be available for first class and list a games so it remains to be seen how raidu will handle his uh, career from now on but uh, good luck to him going further with his cricket career now Vithali Raj the Indian let's say stalwart batswoman has retired from T20 internationals so considering that you know she's probably not going to be playing the world cup coming up in 2020 she has decided to retire from T20s so she's still around uh, playing uh, ODIs and if possible tests for India so we wish her all the best for uh, you know the rest of her cricket career also it looks like there has been an arrest warrant being issued uh, in the name of Mohammad Shami the Indian fast bowler in a domestic violence case so this case has been ongoing already for a year and if we can recollect it last year his indian contract had been temporarily suspended and he could not take part in ipl of 2018 because of all this going on but now there a court case is moving ahead and an arrest warrant has been issued this warrant will be held in abeyance for 15 days until mohammad shami can come back to india because he is representing india in caribbean as we already discussed earlier but he has to come back and uh, surrender himself to the west bengal police where this case has been filed so we'll be keeping a close eye on this news and let's see how that goes now let's take a quick look at the trivia section trivia question from the previous episode was that which batsman has the highest test aggregate at headingley and in how many innings there should be a not a lot of surprises as to who could be the uh, person holding the record because if uh, one may recollect the records we know that don bradman once scored more than 300 runs in a single day and this was in headingley and this has never been beaten so knowing all this we can say comfortably that don bradman is the person who holds the record by scoring 963 runs in just 6 innings in the four test matches he played at headingley yogesh our keen listener has sent in the right answer thanks to yogesh but also he has sent in some interesting tidbits so it looks like jeffrey boycott has the next highest with 897 runs in 16 innings the best average is well it belongs to the don the average is 192.6 right and then when we look at the total number of runs scored by a batsman at a test venue so if you were to cut off this list 
to be top at five number of tests played and the number of runs scored by a batsman at the same venue. We have a very startling top five. So Don Bradman has played just four tests in Headingley and scored 963 runs. Everton Weeks has played five in Queen's Park Oval. In the West Indies, it scored 912. Carfield Sobers has scored 823 runs at uh, Savannah Park. Valley Hammond has scored 808 at SCG. And then David Warner has scored 803 at Waka or you know, the Perth cricket ground. So it looks very interesting. Thanks for Yogesh uh, you know, who sent us these interesting stats. And I hope uh, he continues to remain involved and answer our questions as well. And the trivia question for this week is, who is the only bowler of Asian origin? to have taken 5-4 in Australia, England, South Africa and West Indies. If you have been following the news very closely, you probably know the answer already. So do write in to us. Uh, we are very keenly looking forward to your answers. And also, if you have any thoughts about the earlier topic that we discussed, we would like to hear uh, from you about it. You could write in to us, uh, for example, at Twitter, uh, at armchaircrickpod or using our Facebook page. You could write in to us at armchaircrickpod at gmail.com, right? All of these are good avenues to contact us. Also, we are always keen to listen to your thoughts, uh, whatever you may say about our podcast. If you are ever going to talk cricket with your friends, maybe you may want to talk about our podcast, we get a, you know, a shout out and we get a lot of encouragement if more and more people listen to us. So with more tests coming up, at least the two tests of Ashes and also India and South Africa test series coming up, a lot of things to look forward to. So I hope you guys are all tuned in, guys and girls, and uh, we wish uh, to have your company again and again. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.